You were in for a special treat tonight. We are so excited. I asked him before service if I could call him Ray Haynes the Great, and he said, no, just Ray. And so uh, I guess we'll just stick with that. Can we love on Ray and let him know how awesome he is? We are so excited about the word. saying about the name of God, because we're going to be talking about that tonight, which is pretty cool. You excited? Good. I am, I am so pumped. This has been something I have uh, been getting to dig into for quite a few months now, and it's just uh, something I've longed to study, and so I just couldn't find anything more exciting right now. So to get to teach on it is really cool. Have you ever had one of those moments, like uh, we'll be sitting at home, I'll be in the kitchen and saying, hey, we need to get some bacon, and I'll go back and sit on the couch and open up Facebook, and there's like 10 ads for bacon. And it's like, that is so creepy. <laughs> if, if it wasn't bacon, it'd really be creepy. But And that happens all the time. And so it is very creepy. But eventually it happens so much, I said, you know, this is a great way to Google search. You just have to say it, and then they do all the searching for me. And I was searching for something in particular. I love the Lord's Prayer. One of my absolute favorite things. I pray it throughout the day. And if you've never prayed the Lord's Prayer, it's something you can just chop into a bunch of pieces and themes. And it is amazing. And I hope tonight, if you don't, you will add that to your life in, in new ways than you ever have before. So I, I had one really longing desire, and that was to discover it in Hebrew. The Most of the... New Testament we have in Greek. I'm not a big Greek fan. And I wanted to get back to really the real words of Jesus. And if I could find the Hebrew, but I didn't want somebody to translate it from Greek into Hebrew. I wanted to go back to an older document. And I searched forever, couldn't find it. But then I thought, Facebook. So I said, oh, that I could. No, I did, actually. And I opened Facebook, and lo and behold, they really are amazing spies. I, there was an ad for a guy over in a Hebrew university in, in Jerusalem who had worked on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he had written a book. Now, he's Jewish, but he plays well with Christians. And he's written some books with him and travels with different Christians. And he had written a book about the Lord's Prayer from the Hebrew manuscripts of Matthew. And I said, that is amazing. So uh, I began to just dig in and dig in and dig in. That's what I want to walk you through tonight is looking through this Lord's Prayer in a whole new light. And specifically, it's about the name, right? Uh, holy is his name, hallowed is his name, sanctified is his name. So it's a lot about his name. So if you'll flip the uh, first, there's a lot of graphics. Oh, by the way, uh, I'll, I'm going to put all the notes and the graphics on the blog at victory.radio. And if we're recording, I'll put the, that on the podcast as well. Are we recording? Yes? Okay, it'll be on the podcast as well. In this particular prayer, uh, in the Hebrew, Avinu Sabashabayim, Yikadesh Simka, as our Father in Heaven, may your name be sanctified. Also, Ve'yit Barak Malkutka, may your kingdom be blessed. Restongya, Yie Sui Bashamim, Muvaretz, your will shall be done in heaven on earth. Vititain, Lachmenu, Timidi, give our bread continually daily. Umecholanu, Kazutenu, and forgive us the debt of our sins. Ka'ashir, Anaknu, Mochalim, Lachatim, Lanu, and we forgive the debt of those who sin against us. Vial Tivienu, Lidel, Nieson, do not bring us in the hands of a test, and Vishorenu, Michora, Amen, and protect us from all evil. So, as you look at that, if you know the Lord's Prayer, you know there are some definite differences in what you're used to. Some things are a little similar, some things are a little bit different. A few things you need to keep in mind the Lord's Prayer was birthed in the failed Exodus journey. So it's a roadmap of how not to fail. So if you have a life filled with failure, Lord's Prayer. Every word, line, and image is our places to stop, pause, and draw closer to Him. You don't rush through the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't have many words in it, but you wander, you travel. It's a pilgrimage. And that's how you need to pray the Lord's Prayer. 
Three days ago on Sunday was Tish B'Av. Tish B'Av is uh, the saddest day on the Jewish calendar. It's the anniversary of multiple terrible, terrible things. Uh, 3,500 years ago, they were on the, on the edge of the promised land, sent the spies in, spies came back, and it was Tishbab when the ten came back and said, don't go, and they said, we're not going, and they all died in the desert over 40 years. Tishbab, bad thing. Go forward a little bit in time, Solomon's temple, they're back to sinning again, God sends Babylon, he flattens the temple, Tishbab, same day. Go forward another 500 years, 70 AD after Jesus, and this massive Herod's temple, flattened by the Romans, who bring in four massive legions to destroy it. It's on Tishbaf. Go forward 65 years, because it's a really bad day for them. And the Bar Kokhba revolt. This time Rome brings 10 legions, and everything really goes bad from that day. Tishbaf. So that particular one, remember Bar Kokhba. We're going to talk about that in a little bit because it relates to the Lord's Prayer. But Tishbav is a really bad time. But when the pastor asked me to, to talk, I knew we would be uh, in, right about now. It was just a few days from Tishbav. And so I thought, well, the wonderful thing is on the worst month for the Jewish people, it's in the month of Av. And there's more than tragedy because the word Av, A-V, Av, Say Av. You just said Father in Hebrew. All right? It's the month of the Father. The identity as far as God being Father first occurred on the Exodus. Exodus chapter 4, God sends a message to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. There's one unique aspect to the Lord's Prayer that's very unusual. Unless you pray, Our Father, not my Father. It's not your personal prayer. It's a, it's a bigger prayer than that. And a lot of people ask me why that is. And the reason, of course, you keep in mind, it's the Exodus. It's a journey, all right? So the journey from Egypt takes about 50 days to get to Mount Sinai. And they spend about a year there, and then they head to the Promised Land, to the edge of it, at least. And whatever happens to one person on the journey, whether they're hungry, whether they're thirsty, whether something's bad, happens to everybody. So when you start the Lord's Prayer, you're already setting yourself into a position where God wants you to be. Our first words of the Lord's Prayer are there to remind us that we are not alone. God is always closer than we think, and it's our daily reminder to intentionally look beyond ourselves to the needs and hurts that others are going through. When you say, our Father, you got to pause and just, whether it's your family or whoever it is in your life, and remember that that's why you're praying. So, our Father, as you can see uh, in the next slide, Av is Father. You add Avi is my Father. Our Father is Avinu. And the other father name that you're probably familiar with is Abba or Abba. Av simply is father. Like Corey could say, there's my Av. That's my father. But she wouldn't call me Av when we were talking. She would say Abba because it's relational, right? So when you're talking to your father and it's in a relationship, you would say Abba. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, worst day of his life, he's ready to die. It's agony. He can't breathe. He falls on his face as Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That is the definition of Abba. You're drawing near to fully submit. It's not calling God daddy. I hear that a lot of times, and that's you could do that in the human form, but you can't do that with God. It's surrendering your heart to become a son like Jesus. It's, it's not that it's wrong to call him daddy. You can call him daddy if you want to, but it's just 
Abba means more than daddy. Romans 8 sums it up pretty well. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation to put to death the misdeeds of the body. That's part of Abba right there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought your adoption to sonship. That's all about Abba. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, when Jesus would have prayed it, it would have been in Hebrew, so it would have been Abba Avi. Or if you're praying it in the Lord's Prayer, Abba Avinu. You pray, if you're trying to get your heart in that position, Abba basically is saying, Abba Avi, I choose you today. I commit to follow you, to do things your way, to not be all about what I want, to not be led by impulses, and, but to live free and unafraid of what ifs. Because you chose me, you chose wholeheartedly to become my Abba, for me to be your child, and all I have, for all you have. Amen. You're true. So Abba means a whole lot more than just a nice way to address God. When I pray, I typically always use the name of God, which would be Jehovah. So it's Jehovah Abba Avi or Abba Avinu. Those, you don't have to just limit yourself when you're talking to God. You can, you know, you can pretty well call out to him. All right, Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, right? Avinu, the Bashamayim. Uh, heaven is just Bashamayim, but this is in heaven. So at Sinai, the Lord said to Moses, this is what you'll say to the Israelites. You've seen for yourselves that I've spoken to you from heaven. And if you think about that, notice they saw him and heard him speaking from heaven. That's a huge revelation. When God spoke, he was with him in the desert, but in heaven. He was talking to him from Mount Sinai, but in heaven. Traveling with him from Egypt to the promised land, but in heaven. See, we think of heaven as this faraway place, but heaven is so much closer than we think. We have access. There's just a thin veil separates us. We have access that we've, you know, we just don't even use in so many ways. You couldn't even go into it, but it's, a, it's an amazing thing. The next section, we say, Our Father in heaven... And then we say that depending on the version you're, you're praying, and this particular one from the Hebrew, Venus Tabashimayim Yet Kadeshimka, is sanctified. A lot of times you'll find it saying hallowed. It used to be holy, but now it's usually sanctified or how, and hallowed. They're really similar, but one of the great benefits of going from Greek to Hebrew is the Greek concept is just as a big a concept. When they say it's holy, that's holy. That thing over there, that's holy. But for the Hebrew, it's, it's such a big thing. It's, you know, even Greek would, would agree it's set apart, it's sacred, to consecrate it, it's holy. But the Hebrew requires you to take action. It's the action of sanctifying. And so it's not just something over there that's holy, but it's some sanctifying is something that you do. So the difference is this. If you wash a cup and it's clean, then you can separate it and say, it's holy. If you drink from that clean cup, it's now sanctified. It requires my action. So I'm not just declaring God's name is holy when I pray this prayer or hallowed. I'm making myself available to go and do what he asks to sanctify his name, which is already holy. Make sense? I'm not describing him. It's relational. Just like Abba. I'm volunteering to carry his name. See, we call this room, what, a sanctuary, right? It's not a room that we don't let people come into because we have to keep it super clean, right? It's not holy like that. It's a room where God is present to clean you with his presence, where we can get him set apart, sanctified worship, which we just did. Its name tells you about its purpose. It has no other reason to exist. It's a sanctuary because of what we do in it. Names were linked with one's reputation. If God is our Father and Jesus is dwelling inside us, we're praying to live in such a way that God's name and reputation is exalted, not tarnished, right? Matthew 5 says, let your light 
So shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what you're praying. When you start that prayer, Yid Kaddish Simcha, may your name be sanctified. You're stepping in with God and saying, let's walk, let's roll. One of the most important things is to focus on the Father, to discover the power and the intimacy that's in his name. I mean, when you think about it, the name of the Father, kind of the focal point of the prayer, right? So let me ask you this, what's the Father's name? There's big posters you could say with the names of God, right? Which is unbelievably incorrect. God only has one name. Father has a name. Jesus has a name. Everything else are titles and characteristics, descriptions of God. He's El Shaddai. He's uh, uh, just, you can name a hundred of them that describe him, but he only has one name. The Father has one name. The Son has one name. And what if I told you they're coming out with this new Bible that replaced the name of Jesus? They're going to go in and they just race it all out of there, and they're just going to put Lord. Would you call that a good, how many would go out and buy that Bible and say, that's a quality Bible? You wouldn't do that, would you? What if a new Bible that came out that replaced the name of the Father? They went in, I mean, for Jesus, they went, it's the New Testament, it's a little smaller, so it's just 1,043 times. But to get God out of it, to get the Father out of it, you got to take his name 6,828 times. You got to go edit it all out and write the Lord. How many of you would go out and buy that Bible? It's a deal breaker. We call him God and Father. I mean, does he really need a name? He does. Yes, he does. Well, the good news is they're not really going to make a Bible that takes out the name of Jesus that I know of. The bad news, every single Bible you own, the Father's name is replaced with the Lord 6,800 and at least 20 times. You can go home, pick any Bible you own and try to find his name. You may find it six or seven times at best, unless you read a Bible that's 120 years old. Or you have one of the new Bibles that are just set apart with his name in it. And that's a hard revelation to hear. It doesn't matter if it's King James, um, NIV, New King, it doesn't matter. Back in 1900, they came out with the, the American Standard one. And they put his name as Jehovah, close enough, but they put his name in it. 1952, they came without the revised American Standard, took it right back out. And that's the story of uh, trying to get God's name in the Bible. This is just one of 6,828 examples where a verse is really clear that he's not commanding us to exalt his title, but to call on, make mention, or proclaim his name. On the left, you see the Leningrad Codex. Every uh, Jewish Bible is uh, taken from that codex, which uh, obviously from Leningrad. They had it in Russia. In the red is the name of God. The blue there is just a possessiveness. Uh, the middle is... Just New King James is one version of it. So in that day, you'll say, praise the, I put Lord in red there for you, because it's the same word over there, but except that one says, that's God's name. That's Lord. Lord's a title. It's not his name. Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. But how are you going to call upon his name if it's not in there? It's a little hard. Declare his deeds among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. Can't do that either. It's not in there. Now, over on the right side, there's a newer version called the Watchman's. It's deals with it's a prayer and uh, end times kind of thing but it's got the name Jehovah in it in that day you'll say give thanks to Jehovah call on his name I can do that it's right there make known among the nations what he's done and proclaim that his name is exalted I can do that Jehovah his name is exalted in all Hebrew manuscripts because they're taken from the Latin Grand Codex the name of God is always the four letters Y-H-V-H those those Pictogram right there, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, that's the, that's a tetragrammaton. It means four letters, Y-H-V-H, all 6,828 times that's in the Hebrew Bible. But in our Bibles, they replace the name with the Lord or Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for the Lord. If you go home tonight in your Bible, go to the introduction or go to the preface, and it'll say, 
Anytime you see Lord with capital letters, now notice in the middle there, that's not just any old Lord, that's Lord with capital letters. Anytime you see Lord with capital letters, it's replacing the Tetragrammaton YHVH. It'll be in every one of your Bibles. There's three forms of the word Lord in your Bible. All lowercase, it's just a human being who's a master of something. A capital L, little O-R-D, this is either God or Jesus. It could be either the Father or the Son. It's uh, the word Adonai for Lord. But if you see a capital L-O-R-D, Old Testament, New Testament, it's there because they've replaced the name of God and they put Lord. Now, I could take you through hundreds and hundreds. Actually, I could take you through 6,828 examples, but you could go searching if you want. That's, it is what it is. The worst part of this story is this. In the New Testament in Greek, there's only one word for all three of those Lord, Lords, and Lords, Kyrios. Which way, there's no way in the New Testament for you to tell who they're even talking about. Thankfully, as I said, in, the, in the, having a Hebrew manuscript for Matthew and things like that, we can go in and go, oh, so I know in Matthew, uh, is part around the Lord's Prayer that he's talking about uh, Jehovah. So since we're hallowing and sanctifying the name, which they removed, let me introduce you. The name of God first appears in Genesis chapter 1. He's Elohim, which is just the word for God. You'll see the Lord God after that. And then it's uh, Jehovah Elohim. So Genesis 2, you'll see it, but they don't explain it, and he doesn't introduce himself until Exodus chapter 3 with Moses. It's chapter 3, verse 14, and it says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am, which is Ayehe Asher Ayehe. If you remove the vowels from that and just have the H-Y-H, because Old Testament, there were no vowels, it was just consonants. It's Hi Yehovah Yehyeh, which is, he was, he is, he the better translation is he, he'll continue to be. In other words, he's not going to stop being. He was, he is, going to be, keep going. Now you can see how they take those three words and they pull that up and that all becomes the word Jehovah, which is the name of God. So the definition of the name of God is I am, I was, or I am works, but I, I was, I am, and I will be, or I will continue to be. But that's not his name. Jehovah is the name. And now the rest of verse 14, this is what you must say to the people of Israel. I am which is Yehe again, has sent me to you. And that's that if you, uh, Hebrew you read from right to left, so it looks like an X right there. That's the Aleph. That's the beginning of Yehe. It sounds like in that verse, Yehe is his name, but he's actually just explaining his name at this point. But when you jump down to verse 15, it's a whole lot more clear. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, now, I've taken verse 15, and I put it in the Hebrew there for you. So, you know, again, again, in the red, you can see the name of God right there. So, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you'll say to the children of Israel, and then his name pops up, Jehovah. But now in ours, which is in the English, obviously, in red down there, it's not Jehovah, it's the Lord. This is where God introduces himself with his name in your Bible. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord, God of your fathers, God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered generation after generation. That seems a little wrong, doesn't it? To yank his name out there. In our Bible, it's not even a hint that he has a name, except I am. That's why if I would have asked you what his name is, some of you would have said, I am. It would have been the Ayehe word. Now, I've known for a long time that the capital letters of Lord were used instead of God's name because I'm nerdy enough that I actually read the introductions and prefaces of Bibles. And it really never made me angry until recently. 
The more I studied in the Hebrew, I thought, as I read through the Hebrew, it's seven times a page. His name is right there. In ours, none. And I thought, they've, they took his name out of our Bible. How could they do that? So I went back 120 years. You can find one. And there's three or four now that are out, that's, but they tend to be more King Jamesy. So, uh, But his name is there. Now, here's the thing. As I said, how important is the name? When I got saved like 42 years ago, Jesus changed my life. And so did the name of Jesus. I called on that name to be saved. Called on that name to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've prayed to that name for people to be saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, healed and delivered, and that name made demons flee. I have seen a lot of things done in the name of Jesus. 42 years later, I still don't understand how a name can do all of that. I truly don't. I couldn't begin to explain that. It's way above my mental ability. But I know there's so much power in God's name. Well, I've been reading John 17 a good bit lately. It's an intimate look at the prayer life between Jesus and the Father. And I've just edited it a bit here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son also may glorify you. As you've given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Why did he die for us? That he should give us eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. Who is he talking to? That they may know you. Who's the you? It's God. It's the Father. And, well, the only true God and Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the one you sent. Eternal life is to know God in Jesus. So if we take God out of the picture, what did Jesus die for? What is our eternal life worth? They're going to just yank his name out of there. I have made your name known to the men of this world that you gave me, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. It's like, what? Keep them in your name that you've given me so that they may be one just as we are. So his name causes unity between us and the Father. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name. This is what Jesus was doing, not in his own name, but in the name of the Father that you have given me, that I've declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love that which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, is it even possible that the name of the Father could be insignificant? Or is it how Jesus keeps us and sustains us? He keeps us connected to him through the name of the Father, enables us to feel God's love. Jesus made his Father's name known, Yet our translators made it nearly impossible to know. So I get it. The enemy is working hard to keep the name of the Father far away from us and keep us blissfully ignorant. In Psalm 23, did David write and sing, The Lord is my shepherd? Well, all of us would say, sure, we've, we've said that and quoted that a million times, right? In our English Bibles. But David knew God's name. He was writing about it to somebody he deeply loved. So if you go back in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew, Jehovah is my shepherd. I shall not want, and I shall dwell in the house of Jehovah forever. Who knew? In Psalm 8, we think he's saying, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But why would he? That's just silly. Who writes about a beautiful name and doesn't mention it? What he really wrote in the Tanakh, O oh Jehovah, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I mean, who would write and sing over 700 times about someone they loved more than anything and anyone, but never sing their name. And yet, go open your Bible, read through the Psalms. 
We'll find it. Who would sing 350 times specifically about someone's name? Your name this, your name is that, your name. And never sing about the name and never mention the name. Well, David wouldn't and he didn't. It's so obvious when you realize it. But I never saw it, to be perfectly honest. And obviously, you never saw it. In Psalm 9, David obviously didn't say, and those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Well, that would be just ludicrous, even though we've read it all our lives. He said, those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Jehovah, have never forsaken those who seek you. See, Jehovah has a meaning. Just about every national prayer time I've gathered with anybody and anywhere they've, we've prayed, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name, ooh, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. But we've humbled ourselves and prayed and sought his face, but perhaps it's time we were called by his name. I don't know. Now you may say, well, we're Christians. We're called by the name of Christ. Christ means anointed one. It's a title. Moses was able to draw closer to God than anyone ever. Once he asked God to show him his glory, meaning his face, when it was all over, the face of Moses was glowing. How does God describe the closest place to him that we can get? On the left side is in our Bibles. On the right side is when you go back to the Hebrew, Exodus 33. And he said, please show me your glory. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. But he said, you can't see my face. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, and on and on. That's what's in our Bible. Here's what's in the manuscripts and in the text that even the Jews read. And he said, please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Jehovah before you. But he said, you can't see my face. And Jehovah passed before him and proclaimed Jehovah, Jehovah El, merciful and gracious, long-suffering. And it seems like such an odd thing, doesn't it? Especially if you're one of those who's read your Bible a lot. It's just, it's just an angering thing when you finally see that. That verse, but here's what makes it really me, what really makes me angry. That verse has been a part of my morning prayer time for a decade. I memorized it. <laughs> Wrong. But I memorized it. I will proclaim the name. It never occurred to me that his name wasn't in it. But what he does say in that verse is, all the goodness of God is found in his name. So I get why they, it's something they would like to keep from us. And it's been taken from all of us this time. And surely most of us, if we really had to figure it out, we could name Jehovah, Jehovah, we could get to the name of God, right? It's not like it's been, uh, we've been held hostage somewhere and we're told the name. But I mean, every time you read your Bible, it should be there seven times every page. And it's not. And I guess what I'm saying in terms of the Lord's Prayer, because that's why we're here, you can pray Avinu, our Father, or Abba Avino, that intimate way of saying Father. Or you can draw even closer and say Jehovah, Abba Avinu. Because you know his name, you're his child, you were adopted by him. And when you use that name, it unleashes what he said it would unleash. And I just don't want to take you through our Father, thank you through the Lord's Prayer, the most important prayer about his name, without telling you, you know, you got to take a step in. Now, you may wonder, how did the Jews go from proclaiming the name to whispering the name, and how did we end up not having our name in our Bible? Name Yehovah, Y-H-V-H, appears in the Hebrew Bible 6,828 times. But they don't speak or write the name, and it's practically absent from our Bibles. They don't speak it, they don't write it. The Jews were continually revolting against Rome. The last war, as I mentioned earlier, was the Bar Kokhba Revolt. If you ever want to study a cool war, that is a very cool war. They ended in loss very, very badly, but up until then it was a very cool war. They lost in 138, finally, but 135 was just where they were devastated. The Roman Emperor Hadrian banned the speaking of the name of Jehovah. It's in history. 
not making it up. He banned the Mosaic law, banned Judaism and even circumcision, and the Jews were expelled from Jerusalem, forbidden to live within 10 miles of the city, 138 AD. There's a tomb in Galilee. It's a rabbi named Hananiah ben Tradian, who was one of 10 rabbis tortured and executed on the same day by the emperor Hadrian. According to the Talmud, which was the, the writings of all the rabbis, it was because Hananiah was teaching from a Torah scroll in public. Whenever he came upon the name, yod Hey vav Hey Y-H-V-H, he proclaimed the name and said, Yehovah, as he always had. So the Romans wrapped Hananiah in that Torah scroll and burned him at the stake in, in the most brutal way they could. His last words were from Deuteronomy 32. Easy to like this guy, huh? I mean, he's on fire. And he quotes this, For I will proclaim... The name of Jehovah, describe greatness unto our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and right is he. For I will proclaim the name of Jehovah. Wow. Nine other rabbis were tortured and brutally martyred that day. So for the rest of them, the message was heard loud and clear. And after such brutal display by the Romans, the rabbinic Sanhedrin decided that they would rather obey than die. So they ruled that the rabbis would stop speaking the name of God out loud. And here's the law that they still obey to this day from 138 A.D. When they read from their Tanakh, the Old Testament, their manuscripts, whenever they come to any of the 6,828 times where it says the name of God, they read it silently as Jehovah. But if they have to say it and speak it out loud, they say it Adonai, the Lord. They still follow that today without any threat of death. They read the stories of the ten martyrs every year on Tishbaav. Three days ago, they read these stories of what actually happened and why they stopped saying the, the name. And I don't know, somewhere, I'm guessing in their pride, somewhere along the way they said, you can't make us stop saying God's name. It's our choice. We choose not to say it. It's our choice because it's too holy to say. That's it, yeah. Meanwhile, the Orthodox Jews claim the tradition of not speaking the name isn't based on some historical happening, even though they read about it every year on Tishbav. It's based on their understanding of the third commandment, you shall not take his name in vain. They've declared that just saying Jehovah, just saying his name is taking it in vain, which means... Taking it in vain, by the way, means swearing falsely by it, as in, I swear this is the truth, so help me, Jehovah, and it's a lie. That's taking his name in vain. They don't focus on that. They say all expressions of his name take it in vain. And they say when the Tanakh says to speak the name, when the Bible says speak the name, it doesn't mean that. But just to refer to the name or something great that God has done, that's a quote. And that's the problem. God's word isn't the final say of truth to them. It's just one of the opinions. So when it came time for the English language translation of the Bible, they turned to the rabbis for Hebrew standards and instruction, and they taught them to stumble over the same stumbling block they were tripping over. Huh? Don't translate the name of God. You replace it, you refer to it. And that's why we are where we are. It's very ironic that Mark 7, Jesus said, you nullify the word of God through your tradition, which you've handed down, and many such things you do. Nullify means you make the word of God of no effect or powerless. Called that one. For the last 500 years since the Bible was first translated into English by William Tyndale, almost every translator and Bible publisher has chosen not to translate the name of God from Hebrew into English and has used Lord, capital Lord, instead. So here's the question. Is his name really too holy to speak? 
Well, let me take you back in history. If these translators had done the research instead of listening to the rabbinic folks, here's the history. They would have learned that the name wasn't ever too holy to speak. It was too holy not to speak. Let's go back before 138 A.D., before the time of Jesus and before, before Bar Kokhba. This is a rule that was in effect from the time God told his name to Moses on, and it stated, in fact, till Bar Kokhba. This passage from the Mishnah, and the Mishnah, again, is the writings of the rabbis, and this was composed about 30 years before Jesus and goes on to about 200 years, uh, 170 years after so this is the rabbis writing this. A man is required to greet his fellow using the name. And they take it from this scripture in Ruth. When Boaz was coming from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, Yehovah be with you. And they said to him, Yehovah bless you. You're required the greeting in ancient Israel. And during the time of Jesus and 100 years after, Yehovah be with you. Yehovah bless you. I mean, shalom is nice. Don't get me wrong. It just, it, it just doesn't hold that same passion. Jehovah be with you. Jehovah bless you. Do we know that Jesus used the name of, of the Father? Well, John 5 tells us this. It's Jesus talking to them. I don't collect praises from men, but I do know you people. I know that you have no love for God in you. I have come in my Father's name, but you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, him you will accept. Again, he called that one pretty well. Rabbi Akiva, who was the spiritual leader during the Bar Kokhba revolt, claimed that this guy, Simon Bar Kosiba, was the Messiah and gave him the surname Bar Kokhba, meaning son of a star. It's from Numbers 24, there shall come a star out of Jacob, was one of the prophecies about Jesus. This is a century after Jesus, and the Jews flocked to him. Half a million of them were killed by the ten Roman legions. It was an amazing war. I mean, it took ten legions, and they, they, de they just devastated the Romans. But in the end, he was a false messiah obviously. But clearly, Jesus could not have openly declared and taught that he'd come in his father's name if he hadn't used his father's name. And of course, why would the, uh, why would the emperor ban the speaking of the name if they were already not speaking the name? They spin, spin so many silly stories. But sadly, English translators and publishers are still greatly influenced by the rabbinic traditions, and our Bibles are absolutely void of the most important name. Now, as to the name of the Son of God... Well, in the West, we're pretty comfortable with the translation of Jesus, but it does present a few problems. If you go to any other country, what's his name? A little boy who declares who is Lord in Haiti is going to say Jezi. In Italy, Jezu. In Maori, it'll be Ihu. <laughs> it's different everywhere because Jesus is just an English transliteration of his name. In fact, Jesus is a really bad pronunciation of the ancient Latin transliteration of the name of the Son of God. The name Jesus came to us because the Greeks and Romans couldn't pronounce his name. The Hebrew sh wasn't in their alphabet. They actually threw that letter out. Or the guttural sounds, they couldn't say any of them. So Yeshua at that time became Jesus for the Greeks, and then Jesus for the Romans. And about 300 years ago, Jesus became Jesus to us. Now, he's always going to be Jesus to me and Jesus to you, probably. Even if you tried, you, it's... It's in there. But that doesn't mean you can't come to know him also and, and discover what his, the depth of his name. His real name in Hebrew, Yeshua and Yehoshua. We don't really need a translation of his name. We can say it, right? We don't, and we don't speak Greek or Latin, so I've never understood that one anyways. So where did the name Yeshua come from? If Jesus comes from it, where does that one come from? Well, here we are uh, back at the edge of the promised land on, in the month of Av. Spies are getting ready to go out this time. 
he, the, each tribe has to pick one, and all 12 come in, and, and the, uh, the tribe of Ephraim, they choose Hosea. His name means salvation. The root of his name is Yasha. It also means to save, basically. So all 12 get selected. 11 of them just get lined up. They're ready to go. But Moses immediately calls Hosea up and changes his name. Numbers 13, 16. These are the names of the men whom Moses has sent to spy the land. Moses called Hosea, the son of Nen, Yehoshua. Now, almost every English language version translates his name immediately becoming Joshua, which is Yeshua. But that short name wouldn't actually be used anywhere for another thousand years. They just seem to like to yank his name out. So to create the new name, Jehoshua, Moses took the root of his name, Yesha, with the name of God, Yehovah, which creates Yehoshua, which is Yehovah is salvation. That's the name of Jesus. That's what it means. English Bibles translate it, the Lord is salvation, because, of course, wouldn't want Jehovah in there, despite the fact that eternal life is found in him and in Jesus. Right? So about in the 500s B.C., Yehoshua and many other names began to be trimmed down. And so by the time of Jesus, uh, they spoke his name as Yeshua. Interestingly enough, it was the fifth most popular name at the time. It was tied with Eleazar, Lazarus. So it, wasn't, it was a very common name. But by 70 A.D., this is when the temple was destroyed. Jesus uh, rose from the grave around 30 to 33. By 70 A.D., the name Yeshua was so connected to Jesus that the Jews went back to Jehoshua to avoid any connection to the name and the Messiah. Today, if you go to Israel, they drop the uh from Yeshua and call him Yeshu, which is an insult. The last letter, the uh, is the ayin. And if you think it sounds like an I, you're right. That's what, it, that's what the letter ayin means is I, which is kind of rather interesting that they drop the I. They remove their ability to see the Messiah again. They see Yeshua as the name of the founder of Christianity. They don't see him as a Jew in any way. Now, this is the rabbinic and the orthodox folks. There are lots of Jews who love Jesus and lots of them who uh, would never, you know, change his name that way. But now look at those two names, the name of the Father, the name of the Son. Yehovah is the name of the Father. Yehoshua the name of the Son. It's almost like there's a DNA, isn't there? It sounds like they belong together, right? Because they're all taken from the same name. And that's the whole point. The Shema that they say all the time, Shema Israel, Yehovah, Elohim, Echad, is essentially Hero Israel. They say the Lord, your God, is one. But that's the point. See, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's, it's one God. So when they mess with the Father, they're messing with the Son. And it's ironic that Jesus said, if you don't come to the Son, you can't come to the Father. And so they've, they've tossed his name out, too. I mean, they put it there, but they won't say it. They won't speak it. It's very ironic. And it goes on that scripture right there. Uh, Lord, your God is one. Love Jehovah your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. Jesus added to that one of the commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children, fear Jehovah your God, serve him only, and swear by his name, which we can't do because it's not in there, which is a real bummer because when, from the time Corey was a baby, she could quote all that and sing all that because we did it every single night putting her to bed. But of course, never said Jehovah, so she's only got it with the Lord in her head forever, and she'll have it in her head forever. Maybe the grandchild will get it right have a chance to be redeemed. So let's jump back into the Lord's Prayer. Now that we've caught up to the Father, the next part, of course, is the kingdom. Ve'it Barek Malkutka. 
may your kingdom be blessed. We say may the kingdom come. Well, as you can see there, the kingdom of God is within you. It's near you. It's at hand. It's come upon you. See, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is already here. We're supposed to be praying that the kingdom is blessed. You can pray, may the kingdom come. It is going to come in that sense. It's, a, it's the, the end times, right? But in terms of the kingdom and the Lord's prayer, it's built this way, may it be blessed. The Hebrew word for knee is barak, which comes from the word barak, which also means to kneel. At the name of Yeshua, Jesus, every knee should bow to the glory of God the Father. We should long for the coming of the eternal kingdom, obviously, one day in the future, but the word kingdom itself joins together king and domain. We're praying for his people to come under his domain and rule. We're praying that every knee will bow, including our own inner knees, that his name in us will be expressed in the power of the Holy Spirit to destroy the works of the enemy. We want to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons, etc., etc. Genesis 12 says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So that's why when we talk about the kingdom, may your kingdom be blessed. Your will shall be done. Now, that's pretty close. Your will shall be done in heaven and on earth. Only real big difference there, when you pray your will be done, it feels like we're longing for it to be done. But it's, you know, it's similar enough. Your will shall be done, I like this, because it's more of a prophetic statement of fact. God is all-powerful. In the end, God's will to restore all to its original and intended purpose will be done, and the adversary will be forever destroyed. And the fact is, the waters of the Red Sea and the Jordan only parted once their feet were in it. Giants only fall once you fight them. And if we don't learn to declare the truth, even while the liar is whispering in our ears, we're missing out. So I like that adjustment. Your will shall be done. I like praying that. All right, bread. Give us our bread continually daily. Now, obviously, I like bread, so praying continually is a good thing, even more than daily. But I like the thought because whenever I got to that part of the prayer, I just... Always seemed an odd thing, which is why I wanted to get to the Hebrew. He commanded the skies above, opened the doors of heaven. This is Psalm 78. He rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. So obviously, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, give us our daily bread. It has a lot of connections to manna. The thing about manna was it wasn't ordinary. It was heavenly. It was miraculous by nature. His body was broken for us. He was heavenly and miraculous by nature. He sustains us with the power of his blood, and he is the bread of life. Both are heavenly and miraculous by nature. Matthew 6, and when you pray, do not be like the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. So if he already knows he's going to provide for us, why exactly are we asking daily? He wants us to ask and expect and receive the miraculous. That's how it works. To not get so used to his provision that we think the check we receive every week or every two weeks comes from some boss behind a desk that gave us a job. And the interesting thing about it is this prayer should be invalid. Manna wasn't given in Egypt or in the promised land, only during the journey. And if the kingdom has already come, we shouldn't have access to it. We shouldn't even be able to pray that. We have access because of Exodus 16. It says the manna fell for the first time on the 15th day of the month, which would become the regular date of Pesach Shani, the second Passover. It was a do-over for those who had missed the Passover that year because they were unclean. They could have touched a dead body or were on a journey. Well, on the cross at Passover, that's when Jesus died and gave us eternity. So every year we live in Pesach Shani, second Passover. Death and travel are unavoidable, and God anticipates our need even before we ask. And he literally delights to take responsibility for us and to provide for us. 
we have this continual access to his limitless provision. You just have to seek, knock, and ask. The debt of sin, probably my favorite part of this prayer in, in finding it in the Hebrew. Forgive us the debt of our sins as we forgive the debt of those who sin against us. In Matthew, this prayer says, forgive us our debts. In Luke, it says, forgive us our sins. So which is it? It's actually both. There's three words that deal with forgiveness. Mecho, which is to cancel a debt. God forgives it, the debt is gone. Maha is to erase. They wrote your debt down in ink. You poured water on it, erased it when you paid it off. That's one of the words for forgiveness. Also, nasa means to bear a burden. When God forgives us, he takes the burden. So the point here is that sin carries with it a debt. We have the debt of a sin. It can be canceled, erased, or born, but sin creates a debt that's got to be dealt with. There are consequences to a wrong action and our words. Matthew 18 gives the parable of the, parable of the debt. The guy who's a debt, king forgives him, but he refuses to forgive his servant. Well, pay and complete are both the same word. Shalem, in the Hebrew, that verse, uh, Matthew 18, 35 says, So shall my Father in heaven do if you shall not forgive each man his brother with a complete heart. We just say heart, not complete, but... In the Hebrew, the reason it does that is because the Hebrew word for complete, finished, is shalam, same as the word for pay. So the Hebrew concept is that forgiveness is paying a debt. It makes you complete, erases the debt. If we refuse to forgive the debt of others who sin against us, the Father will not forgive our sins because God treats us the way we treat others. It's called reciprocal justice in Ezekiel. Thus says it, Yehovah, I'll deal with you as you've done. You despise the oath by breaking the covenant. They have the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee. Every Israelite would be set free from debt of slavery, the debt of sin. They could return to their own land, which is being redeemed. But there was no forgiveness unless they forgive those who were in debt to them. And the last thing, do not bring us into the hands of a test, protect us from all evil. You know, the concept is pretty much the same, testing and trials. It's really the same word. But there's a similar prayer in the Babylon Talmud. Do not bring me into the hands of sin or into the hands of a test or into the hands of shame. They reveal our character, even if we do it, you know, because we're stupid. So even more so, we need the Father to help us recognize sin, resist and defeat it. So this is called Hebrew parallelism. Help us escape being in a position where sin brings us to the place of testing. Make sense? And for what it's worth, amen. There was a transaction around the time of Jesus that they found. It said, amen, amen, ami lo Hashem. It means truly, truly, I am innocent. So amen is saying, you can believe this. It is true. In the Lord's Prayer, in a really large sense, we're binding ourselves by an oath to what we've said. We're testifying to God's identity because he says in, in Revelation, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness. That's his name, one of the, well, you know, titles. So when you say amen, it has great value to it. So that's the Lord's Prayer in Hebrew. It's a little bit different from what we're used to. That's taken from the Greek. And if I made you angry because of God's name not being in your Bibles, 
may you stay very, very angry because it was wrong and it will continue being wrong. On this document, I put some of the older and the newer Bibles that actually have his name in it. They're out there <laughs> that you can read online so you don't have to pay buy anything. But I believe that you sh I like to read stuff in parallel anyways, and that way I can at least know what's supposed to be there, despite our English translators doing what they did. But let's pray. <laughs> Father, I thank you that we know as Jehovah we can call your name. And even though we have no clue why your name is so powerful or the name of your son is so powerful, I thank you that you uh, allow us to be just as stupid as we can be. And yet it does not change the miraculous power that flows through your name. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for drawing us to you. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for even giving us a prayer that we could cry out to you. Lord, I pray that you'd write this on our hearts in new ways and on each one of us, that you would draw us to you. And Lord, if there's anything of here that's not of value, then just cause it to just be cast away. Lord, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And we pray this all in the name of Jehovah, in the name of Yahushua, in the name of Jesus. Amen.